0: And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host,
1: Kelly Scanlon.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger. We're happy to have you join us for today's conversation. Let me tell you just a little bit about our guest today, Jack Aldrich. Now, a lot of you are used to business speakers who promise to teach you the latest management style with the latest theory and how that latest and greatest is going to accelerate your business. But our guest today, Jack Oldrich, is a noted global futurist and he's also the author of the best-selling book, Higher Learning, 39 Post-Requisite Lessons for Achieving a Successful Future, as well as many other books. Uh, But he says that it's just as important for companies to unlearn outdated ways of thinking and about how fast things are accelerated and why that's important. So today we're going to talk with Jack about ways your business can shake off the old so it can be ready for the future. Welcome to the show today, Jack.
1: Kelly, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so this is probably coming as a bit of a surprise to some of our listeners today to say take everything you've learned or take a lot of what you've learned and forget about it or to set it aside. Why why is it so important that we unlearn our old ways so that we can – why is that such a critical skill for the future and the future of future success of our businesses?
1: Uh, the reason it's so important is because we're living in an era of accelerating change. And I think that most of your listeners don't have to look too far to see why unlearning is so important. I mean, most likely there's a closed Blockbuster store in their neighborhood because they could not – unlearn their idea of how to distribute movies. There's probably a closed Borders bookstore in their community because Borders and its senior management could not unlearn the idea of how books were going to be distributed in the future. Everywhere we look, just a few weeks ago, Encyclopedia Britannica announced that they were no longer going to be printing their uh, encyclopedias. I mean, they're trying to unlearn. They should have unlearned that years ago. So the reason, but to get back to your point, is we're living in an era of accelerating change. There are now nine technologies that are doubling every six to 18 months. And most people have not internalized this idea of exponential growth. But here's how I'm going to succinctly try to explain it to your listeners. is mm-hmm. Imagine you're a child again, and the tooth fairy comes to you and gives you two options for your teeth and all babies have 20 teeth uh tooth fairy says well there's one option uh with inflation i'm going to give you five dollars per tooth so that's one option you could take that or would you take a penny for the first tooth two for the second four for the third it keeps doubling well most people take the five dollars because they think that sounds like a good deal It's hundred dollars
0: hundred bucks 20 teeth absolutely
1: Well, that's wrong. What they should have done is take the penny doubling because your final, your 20th tooth would be worth $5,242.88. That's the power of exponential growth. And when I say that technologies are doubling, you can't just limit yourself in the beginning, you know, one penny, two pennies, four. You have to follow these trends out to where they're going to be in the next decade, because they're, be, oh, they're going to take your business in places that are wholly unexpected. And in order to embrace what's coming next, you're going to have to unlearn a lot of what you had previously learned about your business.
0: Right. And another way that you talk about that, you, you refer to it in another book that you've written as jumping the curve. And, uh, and you talked about ten different trends that come out of jumping the curve. Um, first of all, is there anything that you would like to talk to us about jumping the curve itself, that concept that would lead us better into the 10 trends that we're going to talk about today, or is it essentially what you've it, already set up with It,
1: with it, the it is essentially growth? what I just said, but if uh, I, I would just ask people, your listeners, to, to plot out the penny uh, on a graph chart, and you'll see that the curve quickly begins to shoot straight up. And so when I say jump the curve, what people tend to do is they focus on the early part of the curve where it's essentially a flat line. But if something's growing exponentially, eventually it begins to shoot straight up and it takes us to a different place. And so when I ask people to think about the year 2015 or 2016, I ask them to to essentially jump up this curve and you can see in a visual sense how different your future is going to be if you can jump up that curve on all of these trends.
0: Okay, well let's let's start talking about these trends. And one of them that I know we can all relate to, and you know our life is basically wrapped up in these now, is, is the mobile web video and, and the communication uh, that we have with our smartphones. Talk, talk with us about that and, and what the implications are. So the
1: implications are really astounding. Last year, Cisco came out with a report that said that mobile web video communication is going to grow 250-fold in the next three years. So by 2015, if you think a lot of people are watching movies and video clips on their smartphones now, you haven't seen anything yet. And here's how I like to explain it to business people. There's a company, it's a British retail chain, but they're trying to open business in Seoul, South Korea. Well, they couldn't afford the land. And what they've done is they've created virtual grocery shelves on the walls of subway stations. Why? Because they know that young consumers are now comfortable using their web phones to snap pictures of the items they want to buy. And then this grocery chain then delivers those goods later in the day. That is how sort of business models are changing. If you're in the healthcare industry, there are now, they call them virtual nurses, but they're real nurses, but they're in a high-tech room, and they're monitoring 100 patients in their homes. So they're exploiting these technologies to deliver better services, to lower costs, And Mm -hmm. what business leaders need to do today is to start thinking how they can exploit mobile web video communication.
0: Are there any kinds of questions that they can ask themselves about their companies? Are there specific, um, well, again, specific questions that could help lead them to those types of possibilities?
1: I think, that, and this gets back to the unlearning, is that Mm -hmm. one of the traps, I'm 47 years old, is, and I've grown up doing things a certain way. And yes. we tend to make the assumption that, well, that's how we'll continue to do them. And you and I might, or older people might, but what I would encourage business executives to do is to look to younger people and understand how their behavior is changing as a result of these tools, because you're going to see one, those are your future customers, and I think that as these technologies get easier and to use, you know, even people my age and, you know, my parents and my grandparents are even going to start mm-hmm. adopting many of these technologies.
0: Sure. And I think you hit on something else there in a way. I talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how people used to get excited about vertical convergences, but he said now it's the horizontal convergence. It's You, you learn how to do something in one industry, and, again, tech is driving this, you learn how to do something in one industry, let's say healthcare, but then you realize there's applications to finance using the same kind of software or technology or whatever it is. And so, to be trying to, I, I think what you're trying to say to a certain extent too is see where you can marry things that are working in one industry to what you're doing in yours. See if there's applications to it, the way people could use it in, you know, XYZ industry as opposed to ABC industry, kind of thing.
1: I think that's a really good example. And let me just give you an example from the automotive industry. So Daimler has looked out to the future, and they've discovered young consumers are not interested in owning an automobile. They don't want the upfront cost. They don't want insurance. They don't like dealing with the traffic. And what they've realized is many of them now have their smartphones, they have their social networks, and they can find rides to work or to parties through that. And so the company said, oh, my gosh, well, if young people aren't going to be buying our cars, what do we do? And so what they've done is really interesting. They've said, we're no longer a car company. What we are is we're a mobility provider. And they say, if people want to rent cars by the hour, well, we are going to, we have to make sure that they're Daimler cars that they're renting by the hour. So they've kind of looked out to these trends and they've said, we have to change how we think about our business. And I think – That's one of the ideas that you're picking, you know, look at different industries, look at how they're changing, and then say, do I have to change? Does my industry have to change? And more often than not, the answer is going to be yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's talk about the second trend, and that's robotics.
1: Robotics is a fascinating field. As I said earlier, I'm 47 years old and grew up watching the Jetsons, and I would have assumed that robots would be everywhere by the year 2012. Well, they're not really, but... They're coming. The number of robots that are being deployed in warehouses, in hospitals, and on the battlefields is doubling every year. Now, this takes me back to exponential growth. If something just doubles 10 times, it's a 1,000 times bigger. So going back to that tooth fairy analogy, your 10th tooth would be worth $5.12, your 20th tooth, $5,000. And so the, the number of robots that are going to be deployed in America and around the world, is going to increase a thousandfold in the coming decade. And if you're in the healthcare industry, if you're doing anything with the supply chain industry, you have to be aware of robotics. And even if you're in transportation, the state of Nevada just last month made it legal to operate a self-driven robotic car. Really? That's how fast I that one. Oh, it, yeah, most people did, but it is. It is coming. And and here's why they're doing this, is that the state of Nevada has a, an elderly population. And mm-hmm. one of the big, one of the reasons elderly people finally move out of their homes or apartments and into assisted living facilities is because they can no longer drive. Well, right. the state wants to keep individuals in their homes as long as possible. And those people want to stay there as long as possible. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could very well be in the next you know, three to five years you are going to see self-driven robotic vehicles uh, on your streets. And so it's the type of trend that is coming. And um, if mm-hmm. you're in the delivery industry or anything like that, it's a trend you have to put on your radar screen.
0: Absolutely. And we're, we're moving in so many different ways into this kind of a world where there's there's things that are occurring that that humans are not uh, providing the one-on-one interaction anymore. And and we've got the next trend that you talk about is artificial intelligence. And I know that you, you've talked about IBM's Watson supercomputer, but I also think of, you know, my husband last night driving me nuts trying to talk to his Siri or whatever that person is on the phone on the iPhone. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, talk to us about the impact of the artificial intelligence on the next uh decade yeah so here's how bit. i like to
1: explain this to a lot of people a few mm-hmm. years ago i came across a story that said that a supercomputer was capable of 70 trillion calculations per second i don't know if you're like me kelly but i could not wrap my head around no, that figure not so at all. i called up the head of the supercomputer center and he said i said could you put that in terms that average person could understand and he said uh jack uh, You know, how old are you? And I told him my age. He goes, so you grew up using a handheld calculator. I go, yes, I did. He goes, well, if you wanted to do 70 trillion calculations on that handheld calculator that you used 30 years ago, you would have to work 60 million years to do what this machine can do in one second. Wow. So that was a couple of years ago. But So now uh, Sloan Kettering, a famous cancer hospital out in Boston, has hired IBM's Watson supercomputer, and that's the supercomputer that beat the Jeopardy champions yes. last year, mm-hmm. right. uh, to help diagnose cancer. And why are they doing that? It's because we are getting so much healthcare information. Medical knowledge is exploding. Even your best doctor, your smartest, most dedicated physician, cannot stay abreast of all of this information. Watson, however, can. And here's where it gets interesting. So Watson's going to be able to better diagnose cancer. This does not mean doctors are going to be unemployed. What it does mean is the doctor is actually going to have more time to spend with the cancer cancer patient, helping him or her understand that disease, the treatment, and the options. And so I always like to disabuse people of the idea that we're sort of moving to some sort of terminator like future where machines Mm -hmm. do everything that's not going to be the case i mean it's actually going to allow more human interaction in many cases but here's where i encourage your uh listeners to think differently so you're talking about your husband and siri which is the latest advance on the new iphone 4s right and uh it, it kind of makes silly mistakes today um, but it, it's still impressive that you can ask it the weather, you can ask it other general questions. Here's where you have to embrace this idea of exponential growth. Siri is going to get a thousand times more intelligent in the next six years by the mm-hmm. end of the decade, that next eight years. That is, this is why you have to embrace exponential growth. And so, suddenly, there are many things that we're paying lawyers for today that we are in fact going to be able to ask Siri to do doesn't mean it's going to replace lawyers but a lot of the sort of the low-hanging fruit that lawyers are doing today is going to be replaced by artificial intelligence and there are going to be a whole host of other changes like that so mm-hmm. this is another trend you have to put on your radar screen
0: Absolutely. Which, staying with uh, the Internet and computers and so forth, uh, the next trend is the Internet of Things. And here you're talking about sensors, RFIDs. Uh, talk to us about that one.
1: So, RFID chips are called radio frequency identification chips, and we know that computer chips are getting smaller as are sensors. But what people have to appreciate is the number of sensors that are being deployed on an annual basis is doubling again. And so today there are millions of these sensors uh, embedded in bridges and embedded on pallets and embedded in certain on piping and in buildings. But the number is going to grow a thousandfold. So we're going to go from a million of these sensors to billions of these sensors. And they're going to tell us all sorts of things about the environment around us Um, And what what we're going to be able to do, and this is where you have to start matching up different technologies. So I was talking about mobile web video communication. Mm -hmm. You can now go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot and buy, it's called Nest, it's a $250 device that essentially allows you to control your home energy use through your phone. And so Mm -hmm. you can radically lower your energy bill because you can begin turning on the air, uh, you know, sort of minutes before you get home or uh, turn down the heat. But it's Mm -hmm. going to, this device also begins to learn your habits and patterns. And so it typically knows when you leave in the morning. And so if you haven't shut off the lights, it will shut them off. For you, um, right. it knows. So um, it's just going to allow us to interact with our environment in a fundamentally different way.
0: Yes, and I imagine too, with sensors, you're. It, it, and some of this might already be in place. Who knows? But you can uh, probably use your phone to turn on the oven or to, uh, I don't know, start other things for you. Maybe turn on your water hose to water your lawn. I, I I don't know, but uh No, that's like exactly that's yeah. exactly
1: right and that uh that's exactly what's coming but it's actually going to go a step further. I mean, there are people who are saying, you know, the items in your refrigerator will have these sensors in it and so it will tell you when your milk is about to go bad or it will tell or it will send you a reminder when you're at the grocery store that you mm-hmm. need to buy Another gallon of milk, or some other. Oh, product.
0: that's that's the one I'm waiting for. <laughs> now that that's that's amazing, uh, and I know this isn't the top of topic of our conversation today. We, you know, all of this is so amazing, but it also, the you know, our future generations are going to be dealing with a lot of ethical questions that come out of these kinds of things too. Probably with the you know the additional sensors and really being able to track just about anything, and so there's so many different. Um, I, it just this whole it just opens up a lot of questions about a lot of things. It's oh, I think
1: that's I, I think that's right. Did you see the report? It was just last week that two individuals now have brain neural chips implanted inside their brain, and they're yeah. paralyzed. But these chips allow them to control uh, a robot outside of their body to essentially act as their arms. I'm not sure if you saw oh, that my. report. No,
0: I didn't uh, see that. I'll take a look that.
1: But here's where it gets, this is where it's going to get really murky ethically, and I know this isn't the direction you want to take the, the program, but so today paralyzed people will use that. But in the not-too-distant future, otherwise healthy people are going to say, oh, well, if they can control an ex, a, a robot just by thought alone, mm-hmm. even though I can use my own arms and legs, that'd still be pretty cool to have. Now, not everyone's Absolutely. going to want to do it, but some people are, and... Do we as a society say yes you can do that or do we say no Uh, and so
0: this is just where it gets
1: really sticky
0: (laughs) yeah however on a very light note i think there's a bunch of business owners who are listening who said aha you just solved my problem i always say i had to figure out a way to clone myself because i don't have enough hours (laughs) in the day i think you just gave them the solution Uh, let's talk about the next trend and that's genomics uh what are the implications there
1: Here, uh, this is going to affect everyone. Uh, The field of genomics is just accelerating at an unbelievable pace. So in 2007, a very wealthy individual said, oh, I I want to sequence my genome to understand my health. It cost Mm -hmm. him $100 million. Not very practical, but the technology underlying it has been getting better, faster, and cheaper. And so today, you and I can do it at the end of the year, for about $1,000. And in two years, the price is going to plummet to about $10. And what that means is that you and I are going to know so much about our individual health, our likelihood for heart disease, our likelihood for prostate cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. And it's going to be hard to make sense of all of this information, but our artificial intelligence is going to help us Make sense of the genes in our body and how we can start engaging in better preventative healthcare information, and mm-hmm. it's going to revolutionize healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry. The uh, the implications are astounding.
0: Oh, absolutely! And just on a on a business level, uh, even if you're not in the healthcare industry, but from a wellness perspective and a productivity perspective for businesses, uh, with with healthier employees, and a lower health care costs on the other side of that. Lots of implications there. The next trend that you talk about is uh, the 3-D printing and additive manufacturing. Uh, those are kind of big words. Yeah, <laughs> they are. You into so the business realm for us.
1: Right. So, the, so any listener who is in the manufacturing industry, if they're not aware of 3-D printing or additive manufacturing, Go on the internet, research it, because this technology is coming. What 3D printing is, is the physical printing out of objects, glasses, screws, you know, automobile parts, aircraft engine parts, and General Electric has said, by 2015, so in just three years, we are going to be printing out the parts of aircraft engines, and There are two Mm -hmm. reasons why they want to do this. First Mm -hmm. is many of their parts are now manufactured abroad. And Mm for their perspective, it doesn't make sense to build something in China, then put it on a ship, transport it across the Pacific Ocean, then put it on a truck, and then distribute it to the end user. That's how we do things today. What they Mm -hmm. want to do is they want to be able to print the part right in Kansas City. If there's somebody who needs that part in Kansas City, let's just print it right there for them the -hmm. second advantage is if you're printing things layer by layer there is no waste you're not taking a big piece of metal and burning it melting it stripping it away and then creating waste you're only using the material you need and so it is highly efficient it's good for the environment and of course it saves inordinate amounts of money so anyone who is in any type of manufacturing has to be aware of this uh, technology because it's coming uh, sooner than yeah. most people expect.
0: Absolutely phenomenal. You you gave the example of the automotive industry. Do you is is that where you see it happening first, or what what industries do you see adapting to that? The you know. The I, I do see the
1: automotive industry uh, coming to it first, and there are going to be a couple of reasons for this. I mean, if there are old car buffs out there, and it's a it's hard for you to find a part to your 1965 Mustang. Well, what they're they're already being able to do is to have the software design of that part, and then you can take it to a company that has one of these printers and print out that part for an old automobile. But of course, they're going to be doing it for new parts as well. But here's one thing I just wanted to mention It gets back to the exponential idea. So three years ago, these printers cost $100,000. Not very practical for a small, medium-sized business. No. Today, they're less than $5,000. You're kidding. No. Wow. And and, and today, they, they can only use certain sort of uh, materials, sort of plastic materials, maybe some ceramic materials, mm-hmm. but we're also learning how to use more advanced materials. And so as we can look... Learn to use new materials. We're going to be able to print out even more objects. Mm-hmm. The, well, and I, I'm glad
0: future. you brought that up because I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things that I had a question about. And that is, what types of materials are, are we talking about? Uh, brass? Are we talking? You know, can I make a doorknob out of it? Uh, but it, right now, it is pretty much limited to plastics. You say
1: plastics and ceramics, but uh, Ceramic. but we are getting. Uh, close to uh, some of the uh, the metallic uh, okay. materials.
0: Wow, fascinating. Um, and the, the thing that I want to mention now, and we'll mention it again before we close here, is that Jack is going to be here in Kansas City uh, next month. He's going to be here at the Association for Corporate Growth June 6th and 7th conference, and he's going to be talking about these very things. So if you can't get enough of what he's saying right now and I could probably spend an hour on each of these topics with him. uh, Make sure that you come on out and we're going to give some more details about that as we close the show up today so make sure that you stay tuned uh, to get those details. Uh, But I'd I'd like to ask a lot more in particular about the 3D printing but we don't have time to do that and we need to move on to the next one. But still, mark your calendars for June 6th and 7th and come out and see Jack in person. He's going to be giving a whole talk about this. So the next one uh, that you have identified the next trend is free quality online education how does that factor into all of this
1: first just for your listeners if you have anyone who uh, a child who's in grade school or high school and is having problems with any sort of math there's a new wonderful website called Khan Academy and this individual his name is Solomon Khan and five years ago he started putting online tutorials about basic math problems online well To make a long story short, he now has 3,000 20-minute videos that are of high quality, and every month, 4 million kids around the world are accessing his tutorials to better help them understand everything from basic algebra all the way up to advanced calculus. Uh, But from uh, an employer perspective, here's where employers are going to have to unlearn, is that for years we've grown Accustomed to hiring people based on where they went to to school, the University yes. of Missouri, Drake University, wherever, and that credential has always held a great deal of meaning. Well, today there's a a new website. Well, first MIT, Harvard, Berkeley are putting courses online for free, but they're also offering certification and. Mm-hmm. What this means is that if a student is self-motivated and can educate him or herself for free and they can then demonstrate that knowledge, does it really matter that they got a degree from a four-year institution? Mm-hmm. And the smart employers are going to start saying, I don't care where you went to school. Before I hire you, I want, I'm going to give you a test and you have to demonstrate you know your knowledge. And if you learned free online, I think the smart employers are going to start hiring people without formal academic degrees. This really challenges people's conventional thinking, but I am convinced this future is coming. And let me just tell you a short story. Sure. So last year, a fellow, one of the world's best roboticists, was teaching at Stanford University. And every semester he taught seventy students at, you know, fifty five thousand dollars a year. He said, This is insane. I'm gonna teach I'm gonna put all my content online for free. A hundred and sixty thousand students took his class last year for free. Wow. And thirty thousand of them passed the test at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So again, if you're looking to hire someone in the field of robotics, you know, sure I, i'm sure kansas state you know does a fine job but many of these people who are self-motivated are just as smart and we have to start thinking about how we uh, think about hiring people in this future yes
0: yeah no that that's very true and another part of that that we could talk about and just, just hit on it briefly here is what was it back in 1918 or thereabouts where the the law was passed that gave everybody a free education, uh, granted that to uh, kids. And that came—that was born out of the Industrial Revolution and that people were taught how to you know, sit in rows, do things, because that's the way uh, industry worked. It was very mechanized, very rote, do things over and over and over again. And in many ways, our educational system is still churning out people who – who are taught like that, who think like that, who work like that, and going to your point about this mass change that we're in the midst of, we can't keep educating people like that. And so that online learning that you spoke of is a great way to keep uh, pace with this change. What, What people learned three years ago might not be appropriate two years from the time they leave. So it's it, everything
1: has to change. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And and here's where I want to talk about unlearning again is that I know that some of your listeners are saying, well, there's just no way you learn as well online as you do in a physical classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. There are many scientific studies that now demonstrate not every child, but a large percentage of children actually learn better online than they do in class. And the reason that is, is because they can stop the video, they can rewind it, they can go back. They don't feel embarrassed about asking questions online where they do feel embarrassed asking questions in the classroom. And so we cannot let our our past biases keep us from seeing how some of these changes are, are going to take root regardless of whether we like them or not.
0: Right, and they're, they're major, very major. Uh, gamification, the next trend, how's that going to affect us all?
1: So gamification is, again, if, uh, I have, uh, my kids are 11 and 13, and like many parents, I'm just convinced they spend too much time on their uh, playing video games. and And they do, and I try to limit them. But mm-hmm. what we have to recognize is that here's what video games do really well is, They've somehow figured out how to, if you make a video game too boring, kids quit. If you make it too difficult, they quit. Video games have found this sweet spot where it's just difficult enough to keep the child engaged. And as they're engaged, they're learning something new, how to get to that next level. And so now smart employers are saying, look, the world's changing around us so fast, and I need to keep training my employees to do what's coming next is there a way to use some of this gaming technology to help my employees educate themselves about how to do the next task uh so that's one aspect of gamification the other interesting aspect of gamification is um uh, People are using games to change behavior. Insurance companies now want people to exercise more and eat right. And now that most of us have smartphones, is there a way to make some of these daily activities almost like a game? And what they're finding is if you just have the game on your phone, you don't really participate that much. But if your neighbor or your best friend is doing that same game to walk, Mm -hmm. you know, 3,000 steps a day, suddenly there is this, sort of this competitive aspect and people Absolutely. are exercising more. They're watching what they eat. Uh, they're creating games for home energy use where neighbors are competing with one another to reduce their utility bills. And so this, this is how gamification is, is being used by businesses to to help their customers save money or to get them to engage in... Positive behavioral changes.
0: Yes, and when you talk about the exercising, using that as an example, uh, some of the early uh, introduction of that was the Wii. Look at all the people who, um, and still do exercise using the Wii, and it made it a game, and uh, uh, didn't get me to, to move off of that. Off of that, but still, it's there's a lot of truth in what you say there. And what I want to wrap up with today, as far as the trends go, is Uh, The one you talk about, and I think a lot of our listeners probably would be interested in, too, is the business analytics and the data mining. Uh, So important.
1: Right. You're going to be hearing more and more, and it will come under the term of big data, data mining, business analytics. As we have all of these sensors and as we're collecting more and more information about our customers, about how they're using the products, about the world around us, we're able to sift through all of this data, and come to real insights. And I'm just going to tell you one story. So a year and a half ago, McDonald's hired a whole bunch of consultants, and what they were interested in doing is they wanted to sell more shakes. And uh, so most of the consultants said, oh, you have to make them colder. No, make them more chocolatey. No, make them thicker. Only one consultant looked at the data, And do you know what the data showed? Do you know when most people in urban areas buy shakes from McDonald's? It's before Um, 8 a.m. in the morning. I was going to say breakfast.
0: Yeah, go
1: uh, ahead. And to many people, that is entirely counterintuitive. But the data wasn't lying. And once they came to that insight, they said, well, what's this all about? And as they started asking people, they said, well, You know, I'm stuck in a traffic jam for up to 45 minutes, and I don't really want a hot coffee that might spill on me. I don't want something greasy that would um, ruin what I'm wearing. All I want is something that will sustain me for 45 minutes, and that's Mm -hmm. why we're buying shakes in the morning. So uh, my point is once you're – and so data mining is going to present you with all sorts of counterintuitive nuggets. But if you exploit these nuggets, you're going to find new business markets, new ways to serve your customers. You're going to come to new insights about how they're using your product. And once you have those insights, that's how you're going to remain competitive in the future. Right.
0: Absolutely. And as we close up here today, I I absolutely want to get in the information about the upcoming conference, but are there any closing thoughts about everything that you just said that you would like to, if if there was one thing that you wanted to reinforce to our listeners today, what would it be?
1: Technology is changing consumer behavior, and it's going to require us to unlearn. And I want to go back to your we example. Do you know what the Mm -hmm. fastest-growing demographic of the video game market is today? People um over,
0: 45
1: yeah people no, over the age of 55 that they're now wow. video gamers and yeah. we don't think like that but the future uh, the past has already told us that behaviors change in unexpected ways right. and so use that as a metaphor to say there're going to be new technologies that are going to require that are going to allow your grandma and grandpa to be doing things that you might not Expect. And if you can be open to those opportunities, you are going to find new successful businesses in the future.
0: Yeah, and and the rate of change is just, it, it's not going to stop. I mean, if you don't embrace it, <laughs> you're going to get left behind because it's, it's accelerating. It's not going to stop. And you give a great example about a piece of paper that illustrates that. If you can't get your arms around the idea of the pace of change, your example of folding a piece of paper is is a wonderful way to do that. If
1: you could yeah, so I, I, I will, in fact, close on this message. So I always tell my audiences, You have to keep an open mind to things that sound impossible, but they're going to be eminently possible because of exponential growth. And I use the paper example. If you could fold a piece of paper in half 50 times, it's physically impossible to do, but if you could do it, each time it would get smaller, but it would also get twice as thick, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ask my audiences, how high do you think that stack would be? or that paper, After 50 Folds. And some people say a few feet, some people say as high as the ceiling, a few people say a couple, you know, a mile. The answer blows people away, but this is a mathematical fact. The answer is 62 million miles. That is the radical power of exponential growth. And I'm here to tell you, computer processing power, data storage bandwidth, the sequencing of the human genomes, They have not doubled yet 50 times, but we are going to double them 50 times, and they're going to take us to a future that sounds impossible today but is going to be eminently possible tomorrow, and you have to keep a very open mind as to what tomorrow is going to bring.
0: Yeah, amazing stuff. And and as I said, Jack Aldrich is going to be here in Kansas City on June 6th and 7th at the 2012 ACG Mid-America Corporate Growth Conference. Uh it's going to be held down at the Marriott. Anything that you can else you can tell us about that, Jack?
1: I know that you can if you're interested in uh learning more about it, you can go to MACGC.org and the entire agenda and uh there are other speakers than myself that are there. But uh if you're interested in uh prospering and growing your business in the future, it uh it's uh, two days well spent.
0: Yeah, June sixth and seventh, go out to MACGC.org, get all the details going to be here in Kansas City at the downtown Marriott, and if you liked or were interested, fascinated by what Jack had to say here today, he's going to be talking in even more depth at that conference, and as he said, with many other speakers who will be focusing on growth and accelerating your business. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here today. We really appreciate all your insights and look forward to uh, having you here in Kansas City.
1: Kelly, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you.